G'day, I'm Indy Wood and this is The Local Update, a podcast looking at local issues, events and personalities from around the Bega Valley. Coming up on today's program, we'll catch up with local singer-songwriter and touring artist Corey Legg. Corey's had some success with his last two albums, the second of which was released only a month ago called Some Days... We'll talk to Corey about touring, the new album, and his past as a successful touring blues artist with the Swamp Stompers. That's Corey Legg coming up later in the program. And as we do each week, we'll catch up with local historian Graham Farham. On this week's episode, Graham's looking at Thomas Sutcliffe Mort and his connection to Sir Robert Lucas Tooth and the community of Kamaruka. I'm having a look now at Fred Johns's annual Australasia's Prominent People, Pittman and Sons, London. This is the third year of issue, 1914. Page 124. Lucas Tooth. Sir Robert Lucas. First Bart, F-R-G-S. Born 7th of December, 1844. Son of the late Edwin Tooth of Cranbrook, Kent, and assumed by royal licence the names and arms of Lucas Tooth, educated at Eton, and rode in the 8th of 1863, in which year he returned to New South Wales, where he contested a parliamentary election for East Sydney, but was defeated. Subsequently, he represented Monero in the New South Wales Legislative Council in two parliaments. In 1879, he sat on the Council of the New South Wales Exhibition. He returned to England in 1889. In 1895, he unsuccessfully contested the Longborough Division of Leicestershire for the House of Commons. Is chairman of the London Board of the Bank of New South Wales, has liberally supported patriotic movements and charities and is chairman of the social centre of the League of Empire. In 1902, he presented £10,000 to King Edward's Hospital Fund and in 1913, £50,000 as the nucleus of a fund for extending existing organisations in the United Kingdom for the physical and moral training of boys. Member of the Committee of Management of King Edward's Horse, Overseas Dominions Regiment. Address, 1 Queensgate, London, SW, Home Lacey, Herefordshire. Married in 1873, Helen, daughter of Frederick Tooth of Goderick, Sydney. Issue, three sons and four daughters. Heir, Sir Selwyn Lucas Tooth, Captain 3rd Battalion, Lancashire Fusiliers, born 19th March 1879, married in 1908, 
Everild Blanche Marion, daughter of Sir E. L. Durand Bard. So that's 1914. Of course, um, his main connection with us is Kamaruka. I'm having a look at a little book that was lent to me by a member of the Beak Valley Historical Society. It's called Picturesque Travel, Princess Highway, Bensdale to Bega, W. Stanley Vogt, the OGT, Bensdale, Victoria. It's got no date, but it's circa 1921 because it talks about the Princess Highway when the Prince of Wales came to Australia. This is pages 70, 71 and 72 Kamaruka. A tour of the far south coast of New South Wales would not be complete unless it included a visit to the beautiful Kamaruka estate near Candelo in the famous Bega district. To the late Sir Robert Lucas Toothbart, the welfare of Kamaruka and its people was ever a matter of primary importance. And today, the estate stands as evidence of his success in transforming a cattle station into a very successful dairying estate, settled by a large population of contented workers. Much money has been spent in beautifying the property by tree planting on an extensive scale, the making of an artificial lake, erection of a clock tower with chimes, and in many other ways which, combined, helped to make Kamaruka a place possessing charm and attraction for all lovers of rural life. The business equipment is on an extensive scale. Fourteen dairy farms are scattered over the estate and during the summer season the number of cows milked reaches about 1,500. Three cheese factories handle the milk from these dairies and turn out both cheddar and edam cheese, the high quality of which has gained appreciation of the Kamaruka brand throughout Australia. In addition to consistent success at the Royal Show Sydney, consignments of cheese placed on the London market from time to time have more than held their own with the finest English cheddar. The home farm, with its jersey herd and small butter factory, is also an attractive feature. Fruit growing is practised on an extensive scale, some 65 acres being under peaches and apples. A large proportion of the output is evaporated and finds ready purchases among New South Wales station holders who appreciate this form of food owing to a general scarcity of fresh fruit. The estate has enjoyed considerable success in building up a large herd of Jersey cattle. Founded almost 40 years ago upon importations by Sir Robert and with additions at intervals of stock purchased in Jersey and England, the herd today has the distinction of being one of the largest in the Commonwealth, although young stock have been disposed of freely to buyers in New South Wales and neighbouring states. The hostel, established in 1915, offers excellent accommodation to tourists. It is equipped in a manner that at once appeals to all who appreciate home comfort. The accompanying illustration shows the attractiveness of its architecture. Whilst the views of the surrounding country obtainable from the hostel are a charm to the eye. Golf links are situated convenient to the hospital and a billiard room is at the disposal of the guests. 
The advertisement for the Hostel Kamaruka informs me that the tariff was 15 shillings per day, or £4, 10 shillings and no pence weekly. Letters were to be addressed to the Hostel Kamaruka Bega, and telegrams the Hostel Candler. Other photographs accompanying the text are a river crossing, the tower clock, the lake and a pensioner's home. Reed's 1988 Aboriginal place names and their meetings list Kamaruka as being in New South Wales and having two only slightly different meanings. Wait here till I come and wait here till I come back. I'll tell more of the story of um, Kamaruka on another occasion. There's quite a few um, listings. Uh, in fact, the most listings of anything in the index to Bailey's History of Beaver, which was republished in 2013 by the Big Valley Historical Society and is available from the Beaver Pioneers Museum. But if I stay with picturesque travel, we've, um, we've mentioned Candelo just there. Kamaruka just outside Candler. Pages 73, 4 and 5. Candler, a romantically situated town, is built on both sides of Candler Creek, which is spanned by a bridge. The district is noted for its fine grazing land and up-to-date butter and cheese factories. It is surrounded on all sides by excellent roads, being only short-distance travel from such centres as Kamaruka, Bega, and Tartra. In the centre of the town there is a well-laid-out recreation ground, surrounded by large trees, which is much availed of by the public. Tourists will find themselves well catered for at the hands of the proprietors of the Royal and Candelo Hotels. Good fishing is to be had in the streams, anglers having been rewarded with fine hauls of salmon trout in the Tantuangelo River, six miles distant. Page 73 carries a photograph of the park, Candelo. I was amused the other day when I had cause to drive through Candelo. Um, they never got the train that was promised by Sir Henry Parks, but there's a nice, very highly coloured one for the children to play in, in the park at Candelo. And another captioned, Candelo, view showing Candelo Hotel. Page 40, uh, 74 has an advertisement for Candelo Hotel. Phone 14, ALVA and CTA House, superior accommodation for travellers. Trial, solicited, EJB O'Brien, proprietor. There is also a photograph, Main Road Candler. There's a large horse team with grey in the foreground. Below that is an advertisement, Candler Repository, established 1880, R. Ryan, Sadler, and harness maker, news agent and stationer. Fashion journals and school requisites always in stock. Postcard views of the district. Next to that is another for the People's Cash Store Candler, A.W. Searle, gracer and provision merchant. Tea blending, a speciality. The house for special novelties, also drapery, boots and stationery. Page 75 features a photograph of the Post Office Candler and Royal Hotel. 
and an advertisement for the Royal Hotel. Phone 10, Candler. Good tourist accommodation. Stopping place for Bega Candler coach. Balmain's cars call. Best brands, wine and spirits on sale. Jay Litherland, proprietor. Graham Farham is the former proprietor of Mumford's Books here in Bega. He's also been involved with Bega Valley's Regional Gallery and Theatre Onset. More recently, Graham has been involved with the Bega's Historical Society and the Bega Pioneers Museum. We catch up with him every week to find out what little tidbit of the history of the Bega Valley he's found that have made Bega what it is today. While the nation battles with COVID and this region on the south coast of New South Wales struggled significantly at the start of the year with the bushfire situation, it's incredible to see the amount of local artists from this region that are seeing real success. Among them this year is local singer-songwriter Corey Legg. Corey's second album, Some Days, was released in September and tracks from the album have been racing up the Australian country music charts. I caught up with Corey recently to chat about the new album, the success of the previous album, and his time spent touring with Australian blues band, The Swamp Stompers. It feels great to get it out into the world. It's um, been a long time coming. I had to wait a few months to put it out due to the coronavirus and all the crazy things happening this year. But um, yeah, it's been out for about a month now and I'm super happy with how it's been received. Must have been hard though, initially when you were releasing it, given there was no live music happening, like, you know, how do I promote this thing? It's been a bit of a miracle in itself that I've done a few shows um, over the past month. But um, yeah, it's certainly a downsized version of the tour that I originally had planned. Hoping to tour, tour more and more towards the back end of this year and into next year. Both of your albums were produced and recorded and produced in NZ. How did that relationship come about? I was lucky enough to get a Young Regional Artist Scholarship from the New South Wales government. Um, and I just got the cut off. I was 25 when I applied, and that was the, the maximum age. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> and I thought I'd just give it a, a crack on the off chance that I might get lucky, and I certainly did get lucky. And then I got to choose um, what I'd do with the money, and I chose to record my debut album with um, a guy called Ben Edwards, who's the producer of uh, Julia Jacqueline and Marlon Williams. Williams must be a sound that you're kind of connected to, into. Yeah, I mean... I didn't know much about Marlon Williams when I first um, applied to record with um, Ben Edwards in New Zealand, but I've bought some of his albums since, and I think there's um, a pretty pretty unique sound that he puts out there, and it certainly rubbed off on me going to New Zealand and recording in the same studio. How do you feel about the assessment that's been made as far as you being similar in sound to the likes of Taylor and Fanning and Passenger? Yeah, I think it's um, pretty valid at, at the moment, but um, I think as I play more and more, I think my music gets a bit heavier, um, and obviously those guys are quite soft and um, they're very, very good storytellers, but I think my music's heading a bit more in the, the heavier direction over time, and I think I can feel influences of guys like Chris Stapleton and um, even even bands I listened to when I was a kid, like ACDC rubbing off. Yeah, right, okay. Because, I mean, I'm listening to the first couple of tracks on, on the new album, I was hearing things like 
Paul Kelly, Hoodoo Gurus, that, that, that real kind of classic Aussie rock, open chord kind of sound, you know. Like, yeah, so it's an inter. I, I, I was impressed, surprised by the transition through sound through the album. Yeah, it's a very diverse album. Um, a lot of people have pointed out the Paul Kelly connection, which I thought was quite interesting because when I released my debut album, even at that point I hadn't really listened to much Paul Kelly at all, so... It kind of blew me out that people thought that I sounded yeah. very derivative of Paul Kelly's stuff. <laughs> yeah, so right. I've, I've done a bit of a, a U-turn and gone back and listened to his back catalogue, and I'm currently working with Paul Kelly's ex-manager, who's doing all my publicity for my tours. Yeah, right. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, we talked a moment ago about James Taylor, and I remember seeing a couple of years ago an amazing video of you that kind of blew up on social media of you covering a James Taylor track. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, so at the Cabago Folk Festival, um, it would have been early last year. It seems like a lifetime ago, but (laughs) yeah, it was um, February last year, um, and I met a young guy called Rory Phillips from Tumut, and um, he was playing a a buzzbox slide guitar at the festival in in a little tent there, and um, I'm lucky enough to be endorsed by that guitar company, so I decided to sort of sit down and have a chat to him, and we got on like a house on fire and had a jam, and... As it turned out, his, his mum filmed the James Taylor cover and tagged James Taylor. And uh, we were super lucky that James actually saw it himself and liked it and got in contact with us to ask if he could share it. <laughs> That's so cool. Rory's a very young man for to be playing what he's playing, isn't he? Like... Yeah, I think at the time he was only 12 or 13, so it's pretty, um, pretty mind-blowing that a kid that age can play guitar and sing like he does. Corey, I know your stuff because I was listening to a bit of the Swamp Stompers stuff. I'm interested in how how it's been for you transitioning from being, well, definitely a duo at times, a three-piece, and working with someone else to suddenly being on your own. Yeah, it's been a, a massive challenge to go back to playing on my own. I think um, it's been a, I always see it as a bit of an apprenticeship, the, the Swamp Stompers. It's sort of been such an amazing journey playing in a touring blues rock band for eight years and um, getting to see the country and build an audience, but um, I think it's a lot more raw and honest going back to playing on my own, and I think it forces me to think about the guitar differently and um, try and fill that sound out a bit more because I'm so used to having a band behind me. It must be interesting too, as far as people would know the name Swamp Stompers by now, but your your name, you know, you're starting afresh. You yeah. you're a nobody. Yeah, it's certainly a a step back to go back to square one um, and that was sort of one of the the risks that I weighed up when I decided to pursue the solo career it was um you know at 28 years old it's sort of a pretty major risk to go back to square one and try and build from the the very get-go again but um I think the the risk has paid off in the two years that I've been doing it I've um been super lucky to get played across I think I counted five national radio stations in the past few months and wow yeah, to get James Taylor in contact and things like that, of it's um it's all starting to happen. The other thing that I notice about you is that um, I would never have associated the Swamp Stompers with the country sound, and yet you've managed to start climbing the country charts as a solo artist. That must have been an interesting experience for you. Yeah, the the country scene's a whole new game for me. I um I've never had anything to do it do with it in the past, and um. Yeah, in the past 18 months or so, I've really got some solid traction with the country side of things. And um, even yesterday morning, I was lucky enough to get played on Kicks Country, which is a, a national country station. And 
Um, I landed just behind Keith Urban on the chart, so that was a bit of a blowout. <laughs> hey, hello. <laughs> cool. Um, you want to play something? Yeah, for sure. weird doing that to an audience of one sometimes <laughs> <laughs> well, i'm pretty used to it the past few months yeah the live streaming thing yeah right you've been doing that most days the live streaming oh about once a month yeah yeah how's that going yeah it's going pretty well i've um had some good support there through the the tip jar system and it sort of 
been an alternative to playing live shows. <laughs> finally, maybe, finally starting to make some more money after a, few, a little while of not being able to play. Yeah, well, I think the funny thing about the whole coronavirus is um, I've been doing more teaching, which is obviously more financially viable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, okay. But, um, Actually making an income. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's been good in that sense, but um, I obviously prefer playing playing live shows and having that connection with a live audience. Um, I'm happy to take the pay cut to go on tour and have a bit more fun. You were talking uh, at about the time of the release of the debut single, Driving Out of Eden, you were talking about the idea of whether you'd weigh up if you were going to give away the teaching idea and actually focus solely on music. Is that still something that's a reality? Um, not a reality at the moment. I think um, that's obviously my, my long-term goal to to phase out the teaching um, and just focus purely on the music. But, um, yeah, at the moment I'm quite content with doing the teaching during the week and playing the odd show here and there. It's um, it's a really difficult thing to balance at times, but um, it's a rewarding career path to teach and play music. Sure. Uh, speaking of shows, you have... Is this an album launch coming up in the next couple of days? Yeah, so it's the, the final show of my album launch tour, um, and that's at the quarter deck in the room of this Friday the 9th of October. Are you, is this tour been, is it just you or are you playing with a band or? Yeah, it's been a bit of a mix. Um, I think most of the shows have been solo acoustic, but um, I've done a few few band shows. I've got a, a bass player, a drummer and a, a keys player. And um, yeah, it's been a, a really cool experience going on, on tour with a, a new lineup um, and getting to, to do a mixture, mixture of solo and banjos. It must be, that must be a bit of a wake-up call, a bit of an experience for you as well, having spent so long focusing solely on playing with others to suddenly be on stage on your own and go, right, how do I entertain these guys? Yeah, definitely, especially over a, a three-hour show, it's quite difficult to you know, keep it interesting over that period of time as a solo act. But um, yeah, I've been trying to incorporate things into my set like um, live looping and I've got a, a bit of percussion as well that I sort of use sparingly to, to build the show yep. and I sort of mix the genres up. I, I guess I'm starting to get into the, the alternate country scene and the Americana thing, but um, I think I've definitely got solid roots in the, the rock and folk scene as well, so I try and mix up the genres a bit. How are your, uh, how are your hands going playing for three hours on your own? <laughs> I actually haven't noticed much difference, to be honest. It's um, I think because I've had such a break and I've just been practicing more, I think my... My um, playing feels feels natural, and there's no strain on tour, so it's um, yeah, it's been really good. And the fact that the shows are spread out so much, as well, which is something I'm not not really used to, it gives me time to recover yeah. in between shows, and my voice feels a lot better too. Yeah, right. I um, I, no, I feel like I've I've noticed in your stuff that you um, you focus a lot on things that are going on in front of you right now what's going on in life the, the driving out of Eden's a great example of that um and then perhaps uh the what have i got myself into kind of thing is i don't know has it been a bit of an overwhelming kind of wake-up call of oh god what am i doing with this album yeah it's um well the opening track off the albums i've bitten off more than i can chew <laughs> and i think that's pretty pretty spot on it was um it was one of those things that i threw myself into without being fully prepared and just knowing that putting that pressure on myself would get the best out of myself. I um, I think I thrive when I'm flat out busy and 
I um, have to hit deadlines and it sort of forces me to, you know, write music a lot quicker, which for the first album, it actually took me five years to write the debut album. Um, yeah, right. Whereas this second album took me 12 months. Did you have some kind of agreement with that funding that it would be two releases? Is that... Well, the funding was specifically for the first album. So, um, yeah, for the second album, I've sort of funded most of it myself, but I got a bit lucky with um, some funding from APRA and the Wollongong City Council. Um, and also some of the live streams, some of my fans helped donate a bit of money yep, towards it yep. as well. Cool. All right. Um, writing at the moment, something more to come? Yeah, I've been writing quite a bit lately. Um, I think the themes of my new songs are quite reflective of the year that we've had. Um, <laughs> Stuck at home, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah there's a lot of references to um, sitting around wondering what's happening next. And um, I think there's quite a few songs that I've written about um, my my experiences of the bushfires earlier, earlier in the year and um, the experiences of my friends and family here in the Beagle Valley. Corey Legg's second album, Some Days, was released in September. You can find copies of the album available on all streaming services as well as from Corey's website and social media. You'll find links to the website and social media at indiemedia.com.au. You're listening to The Local Update, a podcast looking at local issues, events and personalities from around the Bega Valley. A huge thank you to my guest for this week, Corey Legg. His latest release, Some Days, out now. And thanks also to my regular contributor, Graham Farham, for his offering for this week. Indie Media recognises the Yuan people as the traditional owners of the land from which we broadcast and pays respects to elders, past, present and emerging. You can find the local update on your favourite podcast provider. You can find plenty of details about the program at indymedia.com.au. You'll also hear us on 93.7 Edge FM Community Radio around the Beaker Valley from 11am every Sunday morning. My name's Indy Wood. Thank you so much for your time this week. I'll catch you again next time. Bye now. Bye now.